for this morning is from Matthew 17, 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them to the top of a very high mountain. He was transformed in front of them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all this by saying to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you want, I'll make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, look, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I dearly love. I am very pleased with him. Listen to him. Hearing this, the disciples fell on their faces, filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anybody about the vision until the human one is raised from the dead. The word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Who is Jesus? This is always the question that comes to me when I read about the transfiguration. This is a story that didn't make much sense to me for most of my life. I didn't understand what was going on here. It made, you know, what's, there's, there's a vision, there's these two people, there's Peter is, wants to build some extra houses up on a hill where there's not a lot of trees because they're on top of a mountain and there's not a lot of trees up there. So it's like, where is he going to get the wood to build the tabernacles, it didn't make a lot of sense until I heard this song about a, a dozen years ago by this artist, Sufjan Stevens, who wrote a song called The Transfiguration um, that is about the transfiguration. And it, it, I'm going to play it for you in a little bit, but it's a really interesting, it helps me open my eyes about what's going on in this space. The early church was really into this moment. You see from this icon that was, was painted, and that is not a picture of me on the icon, as some of you have said. Um, <laughs> I have a little more hair than that guy. His, his, hair, his hairline's a little more receding than mine um, at this point. But uh, there was a, there's a lot of images of the, of the transfiguration. It's one of those great images of, of the early church. And yet over the centuries, it kind of faded from memory. The Protestants, after the Protestant Reformation, stopped talking about it pretty much at all. Not, not a huge emphasis. What is lost when we don't pay attention to the transfiguration is this question of who Jesus is, because oftentimes Jesus is instrumentalized into what he does for us. What do you do for me, Jesus? Do the thing. If you do this, Jesus will do that, and you're golden. Pray this way, and you've got a friend in Jesus. Do these things. Jesus will do these other things for you. But the word made flesh does not offer us a quid pro quo. And we see this in the transfiguration. Lent starts this Week. And the last thing Jesus does before he turns his face to Jerusalem is take some friends up a mountain. If you're able to, to visit the Holy Land, the mountain where people think the transfiguration took place is pretty high up off of, off of the surrounding territory. It's a steep climb. It's not an easy hill. It's a journey to get to the top of the mountain, and the identity of Jesus is revealed to them. This who of Jesus, that he is God and human, fully. 
And now there have been hints about this reality that Jesus is God and man together earlier in the Gospels. But the transfiguration lays it out in the open. If God did not become man in Jesus Christ, then none of it really matters. We can't be saved. The kingdom of heaven isn't here. Mercy is a waste of time. Let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But Jesus, Jesus takes his disciples up the mountain and prays. And during that time, a great brilliance shone over him. One of, one of the phrases in Greek is, is really hard to translate because it's, it's, he looked like wool that had been combed a thousand times. That's what it, what it literally says about the brightness of him. It's wool that is so white because it's been combed a thousand times. It's an unnatural white, a great brilliance. And there's a vision of Moses and Elijah. Why were they there? This is an important question. It seems a little excessive of all this going on. We have this, this great revealing of God and, and humans together, this moment on the mountaintop where Jesus Christ is fully revealed as, as the Son of God, not just the carpenter's son. And a brilliant vision of him, a brilliant vision of the presence of God. And then Moses and Elijah are there also. I think Moses and Elijah are not just there for the sake of Peter and James and John. I think they are there for their own sake. They are there so they can see Jesus too. So they can see what is going on, that this prophet is the God-man. Maybe so they can also see him and Believe him, Jesus and the life of Jesus is this turning point in history. And sometimes we may imagine and believe that if Moses and Elijah died before Jesus, maybe they all saw everything as it is before, but maybe not. Maybe they had to wait for Jesus too. And they came to see that this really was God's son. So they too could worship him. And then Peter wants to build a house up there. This is the preeminent mountaintop experience. They want, he wants to stay in that moment. It's a transformational moment. They have encountered the living God, and they want to stay there. It is a walk to Emmaus moment, a midwinter moment, a conversion at its fullest. And they want to stay there. Peter doesn't want to come down the mountain, but Jesus rebukes him. They have to go down the mountain. They have to go down that valley of sorrow that leads to the cross. And there's a great distance between the transfiguration and the resurrection of Jesus, but the identity of Christ is the same. Christ is God for us. So do we live any differently knowing who Jesus really is? That God and God's fullness became flesh in Jesus Christ. Does that change anything for us? Peter, the eager disciple, wanted to build a house, and yet soon enough, he was denying Jesus three times. Does it change anything? The deepest question for a Christian is not what you believe, but who do you follow? Who do you follow? Make sure you're following the right person. This is where the great challenge of idolatry comes in. There's a lot of people who say they can save you. They say, if you do this, if you do this one weird trick, your life will be better. How do you know you're following the right one? There are a lot of religions that say they can 
save you or that there's no salvation. There's a lot of people who say God is dead, who say follow yourself. Some of those paths lead up to what feels like mountains, but they do not lead back down. Christ reveals himself, offers a spiritual experience of overflowing praise. But then he shows us a path to follow of humility and sacrifice and service that goes down that mountain, that doesn't stay up there, that realizes that a mountaintop experience of of four people is not enough for the world. The entire life of a good Christian is, in fact, an exercise in holy desire. You do not yet see what you long for. We haven't seen that vision yet. But the very act of desiring prepares you. That You desire to see God as God's self. You desire to see love made flesh so that when he comes, you may be utterly satisfied. You may be fulfilled. He comes like a brilliant, transformative light. He comes like the poor and broken of the earth. Jesus comes in both ways, and we have to be ready for both. Jesus comes like a vision on a mountaintop as well, like the lonesome wanderer through the valley of sorrows. The disciples saw Jesus, and they followed Jesus up the mountain, they saw a great sight, and they heard a great sound. The fact that Jesus goes on to deny Jesus does not negate his experience of God. There on that mountain, they may have an experience that is overflowing, that cannot be contained. They see who they are following. They see that God is with us, but Jesus says, don't tell anybody until after the resurrection, which is how it comes to us. This is how we get this story. They shared the story after the resurrection, and it was shared again and again and again until it came to us that we hear the story of God being revealed on a mountaintop. How Christ is revealed by a sign and by a voice. This sign, the Lamb of God, offers us peace by showing us that God is here for us. It offers us encouragement as we go back down the mountain that we have something we can refer back to when we walk that lonesome valley. God shows us signs in our life of God's presence. They may not be as brilliantly bright as the transfiguration, but they are there. And in order to see them, we have to look for them. We have to look for them. God is here for you. You are good enough. There is still a valley to cross, but God is here for you. I want to close with this song by, by Sufjan Stevens on the Transfiguration. Like I said, it's, it's called The Transfiguration. It is a pretty direct retelling of the story, which doesn't necessarily sound like the most compelling song, but it's, um, I, I find it really beautiful and moving. I think the transfiguration for all like Christian artists is is kind of like a pinnacle (laughs) Um, that you want to draw people into this experience, whether it is through um, through physical media, through music, for for whatever that experience. And so, um, to take a moment to to look 
for a sign, because sometimes the signs in our life that we see are like interpreting a piece of art, like listening to a song, not knowing why it moves us. So this is the transfiguration. When he took the three disciples to the mountain tide to pray, his countenance was modified, his clothing was aflame. Two men appeared, Moses and Elijah came, they were at his side. The prophecy, the legislation spoke of whenever he would die. Then there came a word of what he should accomplish on the day. Then Peter spoke to make of them a tabernacle place. A cloud appeared in glory as an accolade. They fell on the ground. A voice arrived. The voice of God, the face of God, covering the cloud. What he said to them, the voice of God, the most beloved Son. Consider what he says to you, consider what's to come. The prophecy was put to death, was put to death, and so will the sun. And keep your word, disguise the vision, till the time had come. Lost in a cloud, a voice, have no fear, we draw near. Lost in a cloud, a sign. Son of man, turn your ear Lost in a cloud A voice, Lamb of God We draw near Lost in a cloud A sign, Son of man Son of God Lost in a cloud A voice, have no fear we draw near, lost in a cloud, a sign, son of man, turn your ear, lost in a cloud, a voice, lamb of God, we draw near, lost in a cloud, a sign, son of man, son of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for any experience we have of you, O oh God. May we be free to hearken back to those experiences and remember that you have prepared us for a purpose in this world. That those experiences are not our end, but our beginning, the beginning of our true journey with you. Help us to look for your signs, to follow your way, the way that leads to life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.